0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 24th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein, at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Loving Giving, The Genius Between
1: Digging and Begging. Winning the lottery, quote, winning the lottery has become a household expression. Even when it doesn't have anything to do with money, when something unexpectedly good comes our way, we say, I won the lottery. I think it says a lot about our priorities, not to mention our spiritual health, that getting rich without lifting a finger has become the preferred cliché of good fortune in this culture. So I'm happy to inform you today, especially if this is your first time in worship this summer, or if you are a guest with us and have never heard a sermon from this pulpit before, congratulations, you have won the lottery today. Today's sermon is about money. And it's not just a theology of wealth or a philosophy of finance in some abstract academic Today's sermon is about your money and about you learning how to give it away. You won the lottery today. I make no apologies. If the only sermon you ever hear from a Christian pulpit is about the resurrection of Jesus, that's your own fault. If Easter weren't the only time you came to church, you would know that we preach on other topics too. And similarly, If you think the only thing preachers are good for is asking for your money, you need to find a good preacher, or you've just got lottery luck in your veins, and you only show up on Stewardship Sundays. But you know, the truth is, you could do worse. You hear what I say? If you only show up on Stewardship Sunday, the truth is, you could do worse a lot to get spoken from pulpits around the land has little to do with everyday life and even less of it represents the radical Jesus and his radical god but there is hardly a more practical topic from genesis to revelation than money it's why the bible spends so much time talking about money and economics from start to finish the bible is about economics. If you have ever criticized my preaching for being too intellectual, or if you've ever wanted me to speak like one of those megachurch guys who walks the aisle and pronounce relevant servant, sermons and applicable sermons, well, your wait is over. You have won the lottery today. The sermon is about your money. Our money is the very best where the rubber meets the road test of faith there is. Where the rubber meets the road, your money and your faith. How do we make our theology practical? How do we make our spirituality tangible? There's no better way than to put our money where our mouth is. And this isn't preacher ease. I'm not asking you to buy me a new gold caddy today with a big offering. I'm just talking reality here. There is no better measure of our commitments, no measure that is more powerfully defining, sometimes more painfully revealing than how we spend our money. That's just the way it is. Let me define two terms for you in this conversation. The first is tithing. We believe in tithing. We believe everyone ought to tithe, good Baptists and lapsed Catholics and bitter secularists. We believe the employed ought to tithe and the retired ought to tithe and youth ought to tithe. Yes, I'm pointing my finger at youth ought to tithe. Everybody ought to tithe, which means to give 10% of your gross annual income. Take your salary before taxes and withholdings. Take the income from any investments you have. Take the unreported cash tips you earned waiting tables. Take the birthday money your grandparents give you. Anything you get, take that and add it up and move the decimal point one place to the left. That's a tithe. Tithing is a great discipline because it's easy. If you make $100, the tithe is, decimal point to the left, $10. Everybody, religious or not, ought to learn that 10% is a healthy goal for giving. It is easy to figure, and it is enough to make you feel it, but not enough to hurt you. I have no idea what any of you makes, but I am confident that there is no one here today who literally cannot afford to tithe. No one here. This morning as I was coming through the community center, there was a young African-American woman there that I didn't know, and I introduced myself, and she said, I'm working in the nursery today. She's a new worker back there, and she said, who can I give my tithe to? And I said, well, Sherry, you can give it to me. I don't know how much that is, but it represents three part-time jobs that she works, and she wanted to make sure that she was able to give her tithe to the church. I can promise you that you will feel better about yourself if you can learn to loosen your grip on that precious 10%. John D. Rockefeller, who is one of the wealthiest men this country has ever produced, said, I would not have been able to tithe the first million dollars I made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was a dollar and fifty cents a week. a week that John Rockefeller made, and that's where he started. And I commend you, start today. I dare you, start today. And I promise you that you will be glad you did. I promise the world will be a better place if you will learn to share your earnings generously and joyfully. That's the first term, tithe. 10% 10% of gross annual income. Move the decimal point, write the check, sign up for PayPal, whatever. Don't fool yourself that putting a $20 bill in the plate is stewardship. It is not. Learn to tithe. Start today. Now the second thing that I have always said to this congregation when I've talked to you about stewardship is that if you have a beef with the organized church or with this particular church for some reason, then give your tithe somewhere else. You actually heard me say that. Give your tithe, and if you have to give it somewhere else, give it somewhere else. The principle of tithing is not about kingdom building for your ministers. It's not about our egos, our bank accounts. If you can't feel good about giving all of your tithe here, give it somewhere else but tithe. Now, having said that, you are that proverbial choir, as in, you know, he's preaching to the choir, which is usually about redundancy. It's telling people who already believe what you believe, what you all already believe. And I want to preach to the choir today and say this to you, That being here today means you obviously already believe at least a little bit in the church. And let's be frank about it. There are less and less people who do. There are a lot of truly great causes out there to support with your money. And there are more and more people out there to support those causes. I believe your church is as good a cause as you will ever find, not because we are your ministers, not because of us, but because of you. This is your church, your programs, your faith in practice. Where else could you possibly give your money in a better place and a better way? And who else is going to support your church? if you do not it is the church's responsibility to earn your trust to prove itself worthy of your financial support but if we want church here for our children and their children it will be more and more incumbent upon the church upon church people to give their tithe to their church A helpful practice might be to renew that old preacher wisdom that quotes from the Old Testament book of Malachi in reference to tithes and offerings. Maybe you need to give your tithe to your church and spread your offerings to the other charitable organizations you support. That's what Amy and I do. Our tithe comes to this church. The bank's are not afraid to ask you to support the United Way if you're employed by the banks. The YMCA is not reluctant to pitch its programs when it conducts capital campaigns. Your friend who is running the annual PTA drive at the elementary school does not hesitate to ask you to help buy supplies for your children, and your pastors should never be hesitant to talk to you about your church and your money. If you don't know why you should support Park Road with a full 10% of your money, I invite you to join me next week, next summer, for Camp Prism. You will see our children learning the stories of the Bible and the tenets of our faith with integrity. And you will hear the enthusiasm in their singing and see the joy on their smiling, if dirty, faces. Or you need to volunteer to chaperone at next summer's University Youth Camp and watch literally the lives of you, of our youth change right before your eyes. Now I could spend hours extolling all of the good that we are doing with our money. All the reach our small church has in this large city, our campus of ministries and this faith community has an outsized voice that is making a difference in one of America's fastest growing cities. I could spend hours talking about all that we do, but can't prism and University say it all? So maybe the priority of this sermon of stewardship ought to be this, one tithe. Two, tithe somewhere. Three, if you don't tithe to your church, maybe you're not involved enough in it. You know, I think we can never figure Jesus out. He always chose unexpected friends and sided with unexpected causes and He said unexpected things And today's parable is pure, unexpected Jesus. If we can be honest about it, as I've already told you, we will have to admit that the Bible speaks a lot about money and has virtually nothing good to say about it. Preachers have always tried to preach around this uncomfortable issue make room for it, but money in the Bible is always suspect. You just can't read it any other way. There's a clear distinction, as Dan read, between God on the one hand and mammon on the other, which the Bible calls filthy lucre or dishonest wealth. God and money So, one can hardly imagine Jesus siding with a man who manages a rich man's money, much less exalting as an exemplar of faith a manager who was dishonest in his management of that money. But that's exactly what Jesus did. In order order to protect himself, the dishonest manager goes to all all of his managers um, debtors, and he said, if you owe $100, just give me 80 If you owe $60, give me 40 Well, the manager probably was still making a profit, and the debtors were happy, and the manager knew that when it was all said and done, once the money was gone, when his job was gone, he at least had friends that he could turn to. This was a smart man. To boil it down to a point, I think the point of this parable is this. Money is just money. Money is just money. If you are obsessed with money because you don't have enough of it, or you're obsessed with it so you can use what you have to make more of it, if you're preoccupied with money by making it or stealing it, If you're preoccupied saving it or spending it, it doesn't matter. If you're preoccupied, obsessed with counting it or investing it or growing it or knowing it, then you are likely missing the much more important and meaningful parts of life. Money is just money. Don't love it. Just use it shrewdly. Jesus says the children of the world are more shrewd than are the children of light. We we need to learn to be shrewd in our use of money, which is to say we need to learn to use it, not love it. Use it for some eternal gain. As Jesus says, so when it is gone, they will welcome you into the eternal home. What a fascinating word that is Jesus puts there. This man is talking to very earthly people about their very earthly money and Jesus calls their homes their welcome of the manager. Once his money is gone, his job is gone, their homes and their friendship and their welcome represents eternal homes. So let's give the manager credit where credit is due. He was dishonest but he was honest about his dishonesty. He did not want to work too hard. He was too weak to dig, he admitted. And he had no faith in anything but money. He was afraid that his money would run out and he would have to trust his future to someone else. He was too proud to beg. And that man's honest dishonesty Between those two poles, Jesus finds room for an example that we can all learn from. Real wealth is not about having money. It's about using money well. And no one ever used money well who had not learned the paradox of having it by giving it away, which is why the Roman poet Ovid said, giving calls for genius and it's why Jesus said stewardship is something we have to learn whoever is faithful in a very little will also be faithful in much so when you hear your pastor say let us be found faithful we are not just talking about faithfulness in the spiritual disciplines of praying and studying and worshiping We're talking about your very real money in this very good place. Your money, this church. Thank you for being found faithful. May it continue to be so. Amen.